So we, we were um, getting ready for the, the Champions League final last night. And, uh, well, I was. Cheryl was grumbling that I was getting ready for the Champions League final. Why do you want to watch team you don't support? We're English, that's why. Even the Scousers deserve a bit of support. And uh, anyway, so I, I started getting messages on um, Messenger. So we, my phone started pinging. It was, it was kind of strange because I don't generally get messages. Um, I'm like Billy No Mates. And uh, what's, what's really interesting is that, uh, that one came from uh, Bulgaria, uh, one came from Leicester, and one came from Sweden. And I'm thinking, I don't know anybody in Sweden. Um, but obviously I did on Facebook. And what, what's interesting is that there's a real hunger out there for a return to Jesus being at the centre of our Christianity. And what was coming in is people have started to pick up some of the stuff that I've been posting for one thing about the message and, and what we've been doing here about the message being Jesus. And they're going, like, you know, God's been putting this on my heart too. You know, what, what's happening? Um, can you help us with this and so on? Don't, but don't worry, I'm not going on a, on a world tour. Um, been on a train built in the 1950s with no air conditioning and windows that don't open in 36 degree heat take some recovering from. So I won't be going anywhere for a while. Um, I probably lost about six pounds, you know, just on one train journey. Uh, it was just horrible. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, we forget how uh, others live who aren't as privileged as us. And uh, it, it's challenging. And Bulgaria is not the most, uh, it's not the poorest of countries. It's, you know, it's a sophisticated country in many ways, but there's a lot of need there. Um, and its main problem is it has no infrastructure. And uh, that holds it back. And uh, I discovered its lack of infrastructure when I got on this train. You know how, how uh, you, when you get on a train in, in the UK, you kind of step across that little tiny gap and you go straight in? This one, there's a great big gap and three steps going up and you have to kind of go over like that and then climb up these steps and not disappear down. I, I have no idea how, how like little old ladies actually ever get on the trains, but they do. They're there with their elbows and they're in. And, uh, but it's just amazing going back. In, it's like going back in time traveling to some of these places. So I'm going to share a bit about that uh, next week. But what I wanted to uh, really say is that I, I'm just like really encouraged by the desire that God is stirring in his people to make it all about Jesus. Because you, you often see, you know, I, I've seen this week that much of church life isn't about Jesus. It's about all sorts of things apart from Jesus. And um, I think, as I've shared on Sundays for quite a while now, God's resetting his church back to Jesus. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, or who I want to talk about this morning. 
So, how do we fancy a bit more about Jesus? Well, at least Rosie does. I'll talk to Rosie. I kind of wasn't going to do this this morning because I thought it might be a bit direct. But as the Holy Spirit's here, I thought I'd be direct. Um, so, um, if it hits some nerves, that's okay. Yeah? Shovel will fix you. As I've grown to know Jesus more, particularly over the last year, one of the things that I've discovered as you see Jesus in the scriptures is that Jesus is the most soft-hearted person who ever existed and exists. What I mean by that is right through the Old Testament, you see him giving chance after chance after chance to people and nations that don't want to know him. And he's doing the same right now. He's, he's wait, the, the Bible tells us he's waiting till the full number has come in. So he's giving us chance after chance after chance, no matter how bad and no matter how we, we turn our backs on him as uh, churches, nations, theologians, whatever. And he has this, this beautiful, soft heart. And I think he's probably spent the last 20 or 30 years trying to show us his soft heart and the heart of the Father, how, how it breaks over us and how, how we, we grieve the Holy Spirit and it hurts him and it pains him. And so he's tried to show us that, 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 that tenderness that he has. And, and sometimes when we, we need to understand that, we don't talk about the fullness of who he is. You see, that soft-hearted Jesus is also God Almighty, who's worthy of worship and praise and honor. And so we have to get the full picture, the soft-heartedness of the Creator, of God Almighty. The one who was and is and is to come. Psalm 100 says this, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. That's really important we remember that, isn't it? Because it's so easy to forget that we, we have our own creation. You know, life is what I make of it. But we were created. We were made. We were made. And we were made to be loved and to love in return. 
So he says, it was he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. And that, there's a beautiful key there to how we enter into the presence of God Almighty. He's given us that opportunity. And we enter with praise and thanksgiving. That's how we get into his presence. And, you know, my heart is leaping this morning because so often we forget the importance of our times of worship. That without praise, without thanksgiving, we don't get into his presence. And then we wonder why he doesn't turn up and nothing happens. Because we've forgotten the importance of how we get in there. Yes, it's an open door. Jesus made it an open door. But we enter that open door with praise and thanksgiving. Experiencing the presence of Jesus and hearing his voice is crucial to our faith. But when I talk about Jesus, it raises a question. Who is Jesus? What's he look like? You know, what's his nature? And... We all have different ideas about our Jesus. I would hazard a guess that there are at least 50 or 60 different personal versions of Jesus in this room. And so Jesus kind of nails that question. And this is what I'm going to talk about this morning. I'm going to go to Mark chapter 8. So what's happened is that Jesus has just healed a blind man. And he does that off the back of basically a confrontation where people are rejecting him. He's, he's been teaching them, he's been doing miracles in front of them, and they're not choosing to follow him. And that's when he comes out with those, those famous, famous words, like, hearing you don't hear. You, you, you see, but you don't see. You look, but you don't understand. And it says, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he does this miracle, he heals the blind man, and it's the, the, the famous one where he spits on this blind man and rubs mud in his eyes. Now, that's, that's a guaranteed surefire way to uh, build a church, isn't it? Just spit at people. 
So we, we, next week, I'll be doing the spitting and we'll see how that works. But then he, he they, they go to uh, Caesarea Philippi. And this, this is what happens. Now, Jesus' disciples went out to the town of Caesarea Philippi and on the road, he asked his disciples, saying to them, who do men say I am? Now, in this world right now, there are many, many opinions about who Jesus is. And in this room right now, again, I would hazard a guess, there's many, many opinions about who this Jesus is. And uh, so basically what the disciples reply to Jesus is, well, some people think you're Elijah, returned from the dead. And so they're expecting you to do like Elijah type things. So how about we build an altar, put some water on it and have some fire, Jesus. And then other people, uh, they're saying uh, that you're John the Baptist, which would be pretty cool because John the Baptist at this point has just had his head cut off. Um, and, and so the, there's these different ideas about who Jesus is. The, the point being that different people wanted different versions of Jesus. They wanted him to not be who he was, but who they liked from their history. Who, who their particular choice was of who, to, who, who they'd like to come back. So Jesus turns to his disciples and he looks at them and he looks them straight in the eye and he says, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And, and of course, we, we know the answer because Peter says, you're the Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but your father is in heaven. And on this rock... I will build my church. The really important question is this. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say he is? Now, one of the real challenges about that is we know the answer. And it's like being at school, isn't it? Like if you go and sit in one of the classrooms here, there's certain things you've got to learn in order to be able to write them down on an exam paper at the end and pass the exam. And we kind of have done that a bit with our faith. So when we ask for prayer, you get all the answers we know relate to how Jesus heals and Jesus does this and glory to God and all that sort of stuff. And, and if you, you ask for uh, other things or, you know, what, what's going to happen? Well, Jesus is coming back. I've read to the end of the book, we win. And, and we, we know these answers. But that's not who Jesus is asking, what he's asking. He's not asking us to give him an answer. He's asking us, who is he in your heart? And that's a very different thing. Because in here, 
He has to be who he is. Or we haven't got Jesus. We've got some answers. There's a big difference between putting your faith in an answer and putting your faith in a savior. You see, answers pass exams and get you to look good in church. A savior heals, a savior delivers, a savior changes lives. So Jesus is saying, who do you say I am? Who are you going to say with your life from your heart who I am? What does your life say about who you think I am? Because what you say, who you say Jesus is will affect how you experience Jesus. Let, let me expand on that before um, I, I make it a bit more personal. Let's say we have a picture, which many believers do, many Christians and many theologians, of Jesus the teacher. Is Jesus a teacher? Yes, he's a teacher. He's not only a teacher, but he is a teacher. So some people have this picture of Jesus teaching, doing the Sermon on the Mount, doing it, telling his parables and so on. And, and, and that's who their Jesus is. And when Jesus is a teacher, Jesus is there to provide an answer so you can pass the exam. And a teacher, as we grow up and we get a bit older and a bit more mature and a bit, you know, we know better than we did when we were teenagers, a teacher becomes somebody to be critiqued. You know, this person says this and this person says this. Compare and contrast and discuss. And so we have Jesus, the teacher, and, and, and we, we, we fill our Christian life with discussion about what Jesus meant when he said this. So we have, we have this picture of Jesus, and it affects the way we do our Christian life. And, and we all know people, don't we, who have sat around and debated for the last 30 or 40 years who, who Jesus, what the Jesus the teacher said and how it impacts my life and, and, and what we should do about it and have done absolutely nothing about anything because they've been too busy discussing and comparing and contrasting. And they all have different opinions. And that's their Jesus. And then we've got, we've got Jesus, the philosopher. Have you heard Jesus called a philosopher? You know, let, let's make him like Muhammad. Let's make him like Buddha. Let's, let's just put him on that table and say, like, that's what Jesus said. That's what Muhammad said. That's what Buddha said. But it goes more than that because when you look at Jesus and you say, well, he was a great philosopher, which he was. Who thinks Jesus was a philosopher? Philosopher is somebody who tries to understand life and translate it into words. So, yeah, Jesus is a philosopher. And, and we make him one among many. And, and we, we, we have churches who are full of people who think Jesus is a philosopher, where he's one among many. Now, that would, wasn't too much of a problem, but what happens then is you, you reduce Jesus down to a set of principles. And he becomes a formula rather than a relationship. So this is how we understand life because what, this is what Jesus the philosopher said. So it's all about how we understand life. 
problem with that is that's given us a really big problem in the church of this, this generation. Because if Jesus is a philosopher, then you can deconstruct what Jesus said. And so we have this whole thing called deconstructionism. I, that's a long word, but what you will, and, and you might never understand what that word is or need to, but basically that's why a lot of high profile believers have said they've lost their faith in recent years. You know, major worship leaders, people just walking away. You know, you, you recognize names along there. It's like Marty Sampson, the, the Hillsong worship guy. And, and, and it, it doesn't start, most people go, well, it, it, the guy that wrote the book was a guy called Richard Rohr. No, he wasn't. He was just nicking somebody else's ideas who was a French philosopher. What's the idea? The idea is that this is um, just how men of various generations through history chose to understand what was happening around them. It was their best effort to interpret what was happening. And now we're all cleverer and we've got science. We can take this apart and realize they didn't mean, mean, know what they were talking about and didn't mean what they said. And so we can go backwards and reinterpret all this. And the nice part of that is we can get rid of all the bits we don't like, like judgment, like hell, like eternal destiny, eternal consequences. And, and you, you start doing that, and that's, that's why it's called deconstruction. You deconstruct your faith until there's no faith left. Of course, people who think like that love Jesus as a philosopher, and they'll say, well, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to get to the truth, and you're too naive because you just want to believe it. Here's the, here's the problem with that. Peter tells us, well, Paul tells us that all scripture is God-breathed. Yeah. It's not written by men. It would be fair enough what they're saying if it was written by men, but it's not. That's a, 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 a massive claim in the Bible. Uh, uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, I think around about 21, 22, he talks about how the scriptures were written by men because the Holy Spirit moved on them and caused them to write the scriptures. So he's saying it's the Holy Spirit who writes this thing. And so we're not at liberty to take it apart. The only liberty we have is believe it or not. And if you believe it, you'll receive it. If you don't, you won't. It's as simple as that. But instead, people think they know more because we are cleverer and wiser than the guys who wrote this. So it's good to know, isn't it? We have so many theologians and so many people preaching in churches these days who are wiser than Solomon and wiser than Jesus. It's a comfort to us all, isn't it? But that's what happens when you get Jesus to philosopher. And then, then we've got G gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He's, he's, the fa he's my favorite Jesus because he's not going to upset anybody. He's kind of who I want to be when I preach, and no, I can't manage it. And gentle Jesus, meek and mild, you know, nobody gets judged. Jesus just comes and tells you how amazing you are. That you never need to change. Because he just loves you like you are. And that's why we've got grace. 
Is Jesus meek and mild? Is he kind? Is he tender-hearted? Yes, he is. Is that who you say Jesus is? Because that, again, gives us a problem. And here's the problem that it gives us. It creates, as we've seen in our own personal experience of people we know for the last 15, 20 years, it creates this idea, thank God I'm forgiven. Now I can just carry on living by the, like the world. Thank God I'm forgiven, but it doesn't need to affect anything. But it's kind of nice if Jesus would just bless what I'm going to do anyway. And so we've got this gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He wouldn't say boo to a goose. He goes, oh, yes, I'll make your life really nice. And again, there's an element of truth in it. But what that's given in our generation, not the deconstruction, that's given rise to what's a false grace message. And here's what the false grace message says. It says, it, it basically creates an, an issue in people's hearts, which is, how close can I go to the line where I lose my salvation? How far does grace cover me? How far does it go? That's not the right question. Because if, if you're asking that question, you've got a serious problem anyway. Why would you ever want to ask the question, how close can I go to lose my salvation before I lose it? The only possible motive you've got to do that is you don't actually want to obey what Jesus said or follow Jesus. Either that or you're one of those clever theologians who's cleverer than Solomon and Jesus anyway. And, but here's, here's the thing. And I'll, I'll try and relate this to kind of myself. Are you still with me, by the way? Because it's really important who we say Jesus is. Who are you going to say he is? This is, this is a while ago. I, I was kind of um, praying and worshipping and spending time with, with God. And uh, I'd probably been, you know, in my little man cave for about an hour and a half, two hours and doing all this. Anyway, we had a visitor. And, and I didn't know they were there because I was at the top of the house. And, and I came down and this visitor said, what you, what you been doing? And I said, I've been with Jesus. I've been worshipping and praying. And I said, how long have you been here? And they said, oh, I've been here an hour and a half. I said, oh, right. Why have you been doing that, they said. And I'm going like, do you know how cool it is to do that? Do you know, do you know how amazing it is to do that? That wasn't quite the point. They were a believer, by the way. And they're going, why, why are you doing that? And I, I just wasn't getting it. And they said, don't you know that you can't make Jesus love you any more than he already loves you or any less? And you can't do anything that will make him love, love you any less than he already does. Is that true? Because people believe that's true. Because it is true. It's absolutely true. You can't do anything that will make you live Jesus, Jesus love you any more than he already does. And I'm going, okay. I've believed that sentence for 40 years. 
ever since I first heard it. And I believe it because it's true. So how do I answer that? Why am I spending two hours with Jesus? Understand this. The Father's love has never been in question. Jesus' love has never been in question. The Holy Spirit's love has never been in question. What's in question is my love for him. And I find that the more time I spend with Jesus, the more I fall in love with him. The more I know him, the more wonderful, the more amazing he is. His love hasn't shifted, but mine does. Mine ebbs, flows, goes all over the place. That's why I spend time with him. And that's so important. And, and, and you know, I just, I'm just, I really struggle with people who, who have, no, I won't go there. I, I, that, that would be a rant and I'll get told off when I go home. <laughs> But, but it's this, you see, we argue about so many things in the body of Christ. And, it, and it's because our picture of Jesus is incomplete. Who we say Jesus is isn't the whole of who Jesus is. And, and because of that, um, we've lost compatibility and intimacy with Jesus himself. The biggest issue in the church of this generation is lack of compatibility and intimacy experienced in the presence of Jesus. We've got so busy trying to build our churches, ministries, organizations that we forgot the one who it's about. So we, we encounter and experience church and other Christians and we don't encounter and experience Jesus. And, and that's, that's why there was that interest that was coming up on my messenger yesterday. So here's my question. Who do you say Jesus is? Who, you got, who do you say he is right now? Who is Jesus to you? That's an easier question right this minute than it will be in two hours' time because you sat in church. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say I am, if Jesus was asking the question? Who do you say I am when you're not at church? Who do you say Jesus is when you're not at church? Do people, because who you say Jesus is, produces the life you live. You cannot look at Jesus one way and live a life a different way. Your life reflects your attitude to Jesus. 
And so who is Jesus when you're not at church? Does he, does Jesus affect the way you are at work? Do people hear about Jesus from you? You see, if I love Jesus as much as I say, I want to talk about Jesus. And I think we just give way. There is a wisdom here. Okay, so don't get me wrong. There's a wisdom here. But I think we've gone way too far of saying, well, I can't say anything because I might lose my job. I, I, I think like, man, when persecution really comes, then we've got a problem. And it seems that every other religion can say anything they want and any other pressure group can say anything they want, but we don't. And because of that, hundreds of thousands are going to hell because they don't hear about Jesus, the Jesus that we say we love. I love Shevel, so I talk about Shevel a lot. I've been in Bulgaria, and I've talked about Shevel to everybody I've met. Why? Because I love Shevel. Because you do. You talk about who you love. So I say, Who's Je- who, who, who do I say Jesus is when I'm not at church? Can, can people tell that this Jesus makes a difference in my life? Or do I just look like they do? And, and then... Don't, don't get me wrong, because I'm, 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 this, this is as much me as anybody, but you get things that pop into your head. Well, well, Pastor, I hope they can tell the difference. Or, well, Pastor Mark, I assume that they know I'm a Christian. What does that say about who I say Jesus is? Because biblically, that says they don't know. They don't see Jesus in you because there would be a reaction if they do. Who is Jesus to you when you're in your secret place? Do you know what I mean by secret place? Guys, man cave with Bible, secret place. Girls, dressing room, mirror with lots of post-it notes stuck on about things you're paying for. <laughs> That's the secret place. Your, your place that you go to to be with God away from other people. The secret place isn't a quiet... I was brought up on quiet times. Do you remember quiet times? And you had your daily notes and, and you'd... you'd you like read the two verses, you'd read what the guy said about it, you pay the pair at the end and went off to work. That was the extent of who Jesus was to you. I'm not talking about that. What are you actually doing in the secret place? Are you doing something in the secret place? Do you sense the Holy Spirit when you're there? Do you wait long enough for his presence? Are you open and honest with him about where you are and and, and what's going on in your life? Have you got restricted no-go areas that Jesus can't talk to you about? What I mean by that is 
it's very easy for us to have lives at 80% saying who Jesus is, but we prohibit him from dealing with us on the other 20%. Or is your life just totally open for Jesus? Are you fully yielded? Are you willing to let him change anything about your life? Who do you say Jesus is? This is who John says Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Jesus is the Word, by the way. And the Word was God. Jesus is God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life is light, the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't understand it. That's, that's Jesus that we meet in the secret place, who is God and created all things. And he's the light that shines in the darkness and gives us life. So, are we finding room for that Jesus? He's one I love. Who is Jesus when you're in your car at the traffic light? <laughs> Who is Jesus when you're driving 70 mile an hour down the motorway? Because I've noticed from my, um, my market research, for example, that in Waitrose, people are lovely. In Waitrose car park, they're two-headed monsters who cut you up. People are different in their car than they are in front of you. So who's Jesus when you're in your car? Is Jesus, do we say he's Lord? Not verbally, but in our hearts. Because if you say he's Lord, it raises a question. Do you do what he says? Is that the way you live your life? Do you base your life on what he says? Or do you base your life on what the world says or society says, or your family says, or your teacher says, what do you base your life on? Is Jesus really Lord so that we live based on doing what he says? Is your Jesus king? Or is he behind somebody else in influence on your life? Does Jesus rank behind your spouse? Does Jesus rank behind your friends? He's the biggest challenge. Does Jesus rank behind your kids? Where's your priority these aren't easy questions are they 
Who is Jesus to you? Because I, I'll tell you this, this is, this is for free. Joel and I talk about this a lot because we've seen it so often over the years of mums and dads who become increasingly less engaged with church because their kids are doing stuff on Sundays. And they run around all after their kids. And they're trying to be the best parent in the world. That's why they're doing it. They love their kids. And so they, they do all these things to give the kids the best opportunities they can. And, and, and they, you know, they, they, you see them, and, and less, more and more of their Facebook is what they're doing with the kids and what the kids are achieving and how they've done this and how they've done that. And less and less did they mention Jesus until he's not in their life at all. And it's a repeat pattern. It's not like we've seen it once. We've seen it so many times. Because who is Jesus comes number two to am I a good parent? And let me say this. If you model to your kids that Jesus doesn't matter on a Sunday morning, they will not be believers when they're teenagers. They really won't. You've got no chance of them ever getting through university with any faith. Because the pressure on the kids is too great from the outside. So who's your king? Who is Jesus to you in your finances? Who is he? When the word teaches that you give the first fruits, who is Jesus? in comparison to that. Who is Jesus when you're on your way to church in the car and you're a bit late and it wasn't your fault? Now, I'm really impressed this morning because something happened. Here's something amazing, miraculous that happened. You guys were on time. I don't know what's changed from last week, because last week, when we started, there was five people here. This week, there was loads of people here. I'm assuming the traffic lights were green this week instead of red. <laughs> but who's Jesus when you're on your way to church? I ask that in all seriousness, because... I, I remember like when the kids were little and we couldn't get them out of the house and we'd, we'd lose our rags with each other and Cheryl and I would spend most of the time giving this glorious example of who Jesus is all the way to church by arguing with each other and blaming each other why we're late and how embarrassing it was going to be when we walked in late. So who's Jesus in the car on the way to church? You see, on the way to church, church doesn't start when you get here. My advice to you that I've learned over the years, obviously we come in separate cars now, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> but my advice is this, 
Put a worship tape on. Start worshipping from the minute you leave your house and start praying that God is going to move in this service that you have actually got out of bed to go to. Just pray. And then by the time you get here, you'll be expectant and we'll all pray expectantly and God will do things. Who's Jesus when you're in your car on the way to church? Who is Jesus when you worship? Who's Jesus when you worship? I know I push things sometimes, but sometimes we have to break things and you have to break through. Could an observer sat on that chair there tell from your worship that you are passionate about Jesus? That's the question. Who is Jesus to you? Are you passionate about him? And, and, and I, I get this. Well, pastor, I don't really like worship. I only come for the word. I, I don't like that singing. I'm a private person. I've got some really deep scriptural advice for you. Get over it. Worship's not about you. It's for him. It's all about him. If you're passionate about him, you want to tell him how passionate you are about him. Who do you say I am? What is coming out of your mouth? What are you, who are you saying I am? Are you, are you looking at worship as something that's just a warm-up act to get to the preach? What is it? Because quite honestly, if that's it, I stop preaching. Because I'm not here for me. I've heard my preach already in my head. I'm here to worship Jesus and meet Jesus and encounter Jesus. And, and if, I don't, if I'm not prepared to worship him, the chances of me encountering him are nil. Because my heart's not in the right place. See, in the Bible it says that he inhabits the praises of his people. Nowhere does it say he inhabits the silence of his people. He inhabits the praises of his people. Who wants Jesus in all his manifest presence to be in our meetings? Well, he inhabits the praises of his people. So who do you say he is? This is my last point, okay? It's, this is a serious question. Who do you say Jesus is in your life? Who is he to you? Because we've run out of time to just carry on doing church. The seasons change, the world has changed. There's, there's more coming. We're on a trajectory now. Things changed a few years ago. We're on a trajectory. So who are you going to say Jesus is? Now, I can, I can say all this, and, 
And Shavala and I talk about this a lot. Because the enemy has done this amazing job, and I, I, I stand back in awe of him, what he's done, to make life so busy, so fast, and so stressful that our reaction to any of this is, I get what you say, Mark, but I can't do it because I'm just too busy and I'm exhausted all the time. And I, I just don't know how I can do any of that. And you have my heart, you really do. Because the enemy's just done such a good job of gearing our culture and our society that it is harder than ever to find time for Jesus. So we, Shaul and I have this, this discussion. And I, so I'll let you in on a little secret, okay? When we don't see anybody for a few weeks, we kind of go, wonder where they are. And I'll go, they need to be at church. Because for their own spiritual health, they need to be at church. Do you know, if you're, really, if you're inconsistent and you kind of do stuff and it's a nice day we'll do this or you do other stuff at weekends and and you, we see it over and over again like you, you'll start something new and and like 30 people turn up the first time then 20 and then it settles down to five or six people who were just faithful and go to everything and you see you see that pattern and that's more dangerous when that gets to be sundays and here's the point i'm making any step forward that you make in the presence of God on a Sunday will be gone in three weeks' time if you haven't been coming regularly. Why? That's why God gave us the church so that we're here for each other. There's something corporate uh, that we can do about worshipping together, being challenged together, hearing the word together, praying together, that will sustain you and heal you and cure you and get your head right. And, and if you're not here, that won't happen. I tell you that because we've now got 16 years of experience of doing this thing and people who are not consistent never move forward, but generally regularly move backwards. Consistency is a Bible word. So back to my point on business, because that's a, a product of business. We think we need to do all these things to be happy and to have, have a nice life. And Cheryl will say to me, because Cheryl's beautiful and wonderful and lovely, and I'm not. And she'll say, but do we doing this? And yeah, but... They've got all this stuff on. You, you can understand why they don't want to come out because it's cold tonight or it's raining. And you, you can tell why people don't. And by the way, it's half term this week, so most of you guys shouldn't be here. If that's the logic we follow. I'm, I'm amazed that you guys have all come this morning. It's brilliant. And Cheryl will say, you know, like the weeks where there's not as many people. Well, this person was doing this, this person was doing that, this person was doing that, this person was doing that. And that's, that's all cool. I get that. 
And, and I get how mums feel about the kids. I get how dads feel about the kids. I get, I get the whole, I've got to pay the mortgage. I get the whole thing. And I know that if you work like flexible shifts, it's even harder. It really is. I know all that. And, and Cheryl will tell me all that. And we get to the end of it. And I just go, that can't be the right answer. Because if you're too busy to have a real relationship with Jesus, you're telling me your life is too busy for God. And I go, that can't be the right answer, can it, Cheryl? I get all the reasons, but it can't be the right answer that we're too busy for God. So when Jesus asks us a question, who do you say I am? And my answer would be, I don't know, I haven't thought about it. I'm, I'm just too busy, Jesus. That's just not the right answer, is it? And so I understand and my, my heart goes out to you. We, you know, we, we're the same. We've been through the 30-odd years of bringing up the little peskies. Now we've got dogs <laughs> who seem to be at our house and need to go out for wheeze and poos all the time. And just like disrupt everything. And even when you sit down to read your Bible, they're there and they climb up and they lick your face while you're trying to be with Jesus. <laughs> and we say to Jess and James, take them home. Oh, we're busy. And I understand. But we have to find time for Jesus. We do. The, the, right, the answer, the correct answer can't be, I'm too busy for Jesus. I realize it is a answer, but it can't be the right one. So who do you say he is? Who does your life say he is? Who does my life say he is? It's a, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because, as I said, the enemy has done an absolutely brilliant job of creating a culture that makes it hard us to find time for Jesus but if we don't find time for Jesus our souls will die and I'd like to finish because that would be a jolly amen now wouldn't it but that wasn't a very jolly way to finish was it but here's what Jesus said he said you got this Simon Peter by revelation my father showed you who I am and because of that, I can build my church. And things are going to change around here, Simon Peter, because you got that revelation. Now I can start moving amongst you. Now I can start building my church. Now I can start changing things. And we're going to go and we're going to take some ground back. We're not going to be pushed around by the enemy anymore. Because on this rock, this rock of revelation of who I am, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the gates are not offensive weapons. You don't have gates of mass destruction. You don't have gates that leap out at you and attack you, do you? He's saying we can kick down the gates of the enemy's territory and take ground. And that's what we need in this land. That's what we need in our lives. That's what we need in our souls. We need some wins. And he's saying, I'm with you. 
You get who I am and we're going to take some ground. We're going to see bodies healed. We're going to see souls delivered. We're going to see demonic oppression removed. And things are going to start changing around here. Because of who you say I am. King, Lord, Word, Creator, light in the darkness, life amongst dead. Jesus, name above every name. Amen. Let's stand.